I want to wish everybody a good morning again. Uh, I am Darren Katz, the very proud and excited incoming head of school at Hillel. And on behalf of my fellow administrators who are on this Zoom, I want to thank you for taking time to join us today for this parent focus group. We are happy that you have chosen to join us to discuss our reopening plans for the fall. Our parents play a tremendously valuable part in this process as we continue our work to open school in the fall in the safest and healthiest manner. As you hopefully read in my email update last week from June 9th, our campus will reopen for in-person learning unless government regulations prevent us from doing so. And at this time, our campus reopening task force chaired by John Pitcher, Hillel's chief operating officer, in consultation with our medical advisor and our academic leaders, many of whom are on this Zoom, believe that all students will be able to return to our facility on a daily basis in the fall, albeit with physical distancing guidelines in place. We are blessed with a spacious campus, flexible classrooms, and extensive indoor and outdoor spaces. In addition, our low student-teacher ratio, which is among the lowest of any school in the area, provides us with the ability to implement all necessary safety and hygiene protocols while still emphasizing the hallmarks of a Hillel education, creativity, critical thinking, communication, collaboration, community, and very importantly, our core Jewish values. Now we are planning for modifications to some of our normal school routines, such as our lunch and recess, which you will hear about, and physical education, but I wanna emphasize that we are committed to providing a complete range of academic and co-curricular programs, including all specialties, while maintaining physical distancing with whatever the recommendations are at that time. It is also too important, I really wanna make sure everybody Here's this, that in every conversation that we as a team have about next year, we discuss the paramount importance of the social and emotional health of your children. While we must abide by regulations provided by the CDC and government authorities, we also want your children to come to school without fear and to just be kids. And Kim Love is on this call and if, and she will be able to speak to that later on when questions come up. We are also planning for two other scenarios. Knowing that it might be necessary to have periods of remote learning next year, our educational task force, chaired by Principal Melissa Michelson, has already begun working to ensure that our faculty are prepared to move swiftly from on-campus learning to remote learning should the need arise for any part of the next school year. So we're looking at all models of synchronous and asynchronous instruction uh, to make sure that our students learn, they remain engaged and strengthen relationships, but we are of course being mindful of the amount of screen time that is appropriate for students of this age. All K through four students will be provided with a device next year, similar to the one-to-one -one program that's already in place for fifth to eighth graders. If we are teaching remotely specialty classes, social emotional learning and learning support will continue. And lastly, 
we recognize that there may be students, families, and staff with a heightened health risk and some who are just not ready to return to our facility. So in the flexible model that I described in last week's email, on-campus learning with physical distancing will happen concurrently with the remote learning option for those constituencies. But in all honesty, this is the model that requires the most careful planning, and we are working diligently on how to do this in the most excellent manner. So today our focus group will be an open dialogue for all of us to give you the opportunity to ask questions, voice concerns, and give us your thoughts. I wanna thank those parents who did submit questions ahead of time because they gave us a sense of the pulse of the community. Those questions fell into the following buckets. Physical distancing procedures, how lunch and recess will work, what the remote schedule might look like, health and safety protocols in general, and then questions around tuition. Please understand that there may be answers we do not have yet because we do not have the guidelines from Governor Whitmer's educational task force. And of course, we need to see the course of the virus over the summer. We will be honest about what we know, what we do not yet know, and when we hope to have answers, hope being the key word in that sentence. So I want everyone to know that this focus group is being recorded so that we can refer back to it if necessary. And I now wanna open up the dialogue the floor per se to start the dialogue. So if anybody wants to be the first person to ask a question, raise a concern, just put your name in the chat or raise your hand and I will call on you and then the correct person will answer your question. I'll be the brave one to go first. <laughs> Thank you. Somebody's, somebody's gonna be our Nachshon and start. <laughs> um, hi everybody, first of all, I love seeing all your faces. Thank you for doing this for us today. Um, as we wrapped up last year, and of course everybody is thinking about summer and the fall and what will be, I guess my question is, how, what is the summer looking like for you guys on a, on a faculty and staff level, and how exactly are you helping to prepare and train the teachers for going into the fall? Because I feel like well, obviously all of our Hillel teachers are just the most amazing people and teachers ever. Um, remote learning is obviously a little bit, it was easier for some than others. And, you know, we all had our, the things that we were good at and the things that were a challenge, but I definitely feel like it is about the person and how you can kind of pivot to make it work. And, you know, we all have things that we're better at or, or stronger than others. So I think to me, I think a key is how can we help to, you know, not just prepare the kids, but also the teachers to kind of go with the flow and pivot as necessary. And from afar, it's obviously very hard to do that, but just wanted to see if there was any discussion on your end. Good morning, everybody. Thanks, Julie. Uh, I'll start the question and then there might be some other people that want to chime in. So as Darren said, I'm the head of the educational task force. And when we began this task force, we focused on, th on three buckets. And those buckets were um, looking at remote learning with all the feedback for that current moment. What can we do right now to make some change and make things better for the last month of school? We then looked at summer experiences that went out, um, I believe yesterday, um, to 
make sure that we had some offerings for the summer. And then the last one was for next year and the, the hopeful on-campus learning. So at that point, we included um, the leadership team. And as we moved on, we understood and felt really that it was really, really important that as we start to look at the different scenarios for next year, that we had teachers as part of that task force. So now we have um, our first meeting this week with teachers that applied to be on the task force and they will have a, um, a really nice input on the different scenarios. So I had those three buckets, now we're switching our buckets to all of those scenarios that Darren um, presented today. So being on campus with physical distancing, um, the transitional that if we need to quickly go back to remote learning or we have a child that you know needs because he or she doesn't feel well needs to go to remote learning um, the the flexible and then obviously the remote so what we'll do is with the task force we'll go through each of those scenarios and you know talk through it problem solve etc and then we'll set goals for how do we need to train the teachers appropriately so one thing is this summer we are requiring teachers to um to have some technology training so we know that no matter what if we're remote or on campus that it's going to be useful information so that's number one but then through the task force we'll make goals and we'll say what what do we believe our teachers still need training on and then in our August PD, or perhaps before then, you know, giving them tips and articles and webinars. Um, but that August PD will be um, the focus of what we believe will, you know, benefit students learning emotional, um, social, and academic through the school year. Thank you, Melissa. Yes, mostly it does. I know, obviously, plans and trainings, obviously, this year are going to look so much, you know, different than they normally would. Um, I guess there's there's so many little things as we go like for instance in the chat right now You guys have it set up so that the only chat can be to the host um, That's a great feature for the teachers to be aware of because I know you know I know we had in our house some zoom issues of chat with the little kids um, I don't know how to do that. I didn't know that you could do that, but I would hope that the teachers are gonna learn you know how to manage those things and that's PD that in a million years who would have thought that they you know really needed to focus on those things so i know there's going to be a lot of things that come up as it goes and um you know just wanting to be reassured that those that is the focus of pd for for a little bit going forward i think um, really, it it is and, and marnie i'll let you chime in on that it is and in addition to that we also you know we were thrown into the remote situation so quickly and there were so many skills that not only our teachers didn't know but our students didn't know so one of our goals also for the beginning of the school year is to look you know from a ECC4 to an eighth grader what are those kind of tech skills that they need to know everything from the actual like logistic piece of the computer but also like how do you have a deep conversation on Google or on Zoom. How do you, you know, respectfully res respond to your to your teacher? How do you, um, you know, share an appropriate question with proper punctuation? So we're going to try to do kind of a. This is what a kindergartner would need to do, first grader, second grader, and have that kind of scope and sequence 
for both the teachers and the students. The other piece of the reason that we are going to one-to-one -to -one in K-4 um, is by providing devices for all of our students. That gives us the element of being able to support and better monitor student situations. So because all of the K-2 students will have an iPad provided by the school, it's part of our management system. So we can monitor and support students, parents, and teachers in making sure that those skills that the kids are practicing are able to um, happen appropriately. So that's a definite big difference for moving forward in the fall is those devices. And this is sort of an overlay for everything that happened over the past three months since the middle of March and going forward. Um, when Hillel and my own school that I'm finishing up this week, we were thrown into remote learning and we entered the triage phase. We were in an emergency phase and needed to triage a system. And Hillel did an amazing job of triaging a system and putting something in place in 72 hours. That was phase one. The next phase was adaptation, and that was taking feedback and making tweaks throughout the spring months in real time to make things the best it could be. Now, all schools throughout the country or even the world are entering into the third phase, at least Hillel is, and that's what's resilience. We are taking what our best practices that we learned and making them a part of our school culture. So that dig digital citizenship um, uh, education that Melissa and Marnie are talking about for our kids, that will be a lasting um, artifact of our remote learning program, which is something that every child is going to need going forward. So there are some silver linings that we're gonna, are gonna carry over into the resilience mode which is where schools will be come the fall. So I just wanted to give a over, little overlay about that. Okay, um, I'm scanning just to see. Next question, Julie was our Nachshon, thank you. And anybody have a next question? Just raise your hand or put your name in the chat. Okay, Amy, Amy's iPhone. Amy, I don't, okay, you're on mute, Amy. <laughs> there we go. Okay. Yeah. Um, this is Amy Berman. Um, I, I appreciate everyone working so hard and all the time and effort that has been put in to teaching our kids. Um, we have four and their teachers were amazing. Um, I just, I'm not sure if this has been addressed in any email, so I apologize if it has. Um, but my husband Jared and I feel strongly that if at all possible, um, we want our children back in a classroom setting, and if it's if it's deemed safe. Um, and I'm wondering if it has been um, brought up or mentioned um, if any other Jewish facilities can be used. If if Hillel is big enough to have proper social distancing. Um, or if, if we need to move any of the kids to other areas, but we just, we want our kids to go back to school. I don't, I don't think that remote learning was working so great. Um, and if, if at all possible, we just, we want our kids in a real class setting, even if it's just with a couple other students. So Amy, I'm going to repeat something that was in email last week, and I'm going to turn this over to John and Andrea. Uh, so we will reopen our campus 
unless government regulations prevent us from doing so. Okay, and good. John, who chairs our campus reopening task force, and the members on his task force have been working tirelessly with, for, with equipment and safety protocols, and I'm gonna let him speak about the, the benefit of our gorgeous facility and all the space we have. Right, so, so we have been working hard. Uh, we've looked at many, many options. Um, as Darren mentioned in the beginning, we're blessed with lots of space, so we will use a lot of, we will use some different non-traditional space for some classrooms, um, but we think we'll be able to handle it for the younger children, keeping them for, for uh, K through two for sure, keeping them in their classrooms. The classrooms will look different because we need to keep the kids apart. As you know, we want to keep them health, healthy and safe. And the recommendation um, could be as much as six foot feet of distance between desks, and we're working on that. Um, we have ordered new desks, desks for those young students, um, actually small tables. They'll each have their own table, and we'll keep them uh, as much as six feet apart. Um, we actually yesterday um, received many of the tables, and we set up a kindergarten classroom to see if it would fit, and it, and it worked out pretty well. Um, we haven't done the other classrooms yet because the tables just arrived yesterday afternoon. Um, that's just one example, but, but we're going through all the protocols of, um, and we don't have firm decisions yet, but we're looking at all the protocols of where students are going to enter the building, you know, what, what kind of a health check is required, is it the parents providing information every day, or is, is um, some other method taking temperatures at the door every day, which I personally would like to avoid just for the congestion reasons. Um, we're looking at everything, and, and as Darren mentioned, our goal and our intention is to start school in the building in September and stay that way. If we have any minor shutdowns, we'll have to deal with that if someone gets sick. Of course, any other school will be under the same conditions, um, but I think the team's working extremely well together, and we're looking at every possibility we can think of. We're getting great input from even the rest of the administration team who's not on the, on the campus reopening task force. So um, I think we're doing very well, and, uh, but we've got a lot more work to do. Andrea, anything you'd like to add? Yeah, hi, um, I'm Andrea Jenkins, Director of First through Fourth Grade, and Amy, let me tell you, I want your kids back on campus too. Like that is our goal as well. So <laughs> let's make that really clear. Um, we, yeah, I, I can't add much more to what John said, but it, we are, um, we, we actually physically walk this space and look at, you know, every single kind of square footage and, and we looked at uh, spaces in different, with a different lens and a different kind of way so that we could really wrap our head around what we had to work with. And I will say it, it was, uh, our building is so uh, well designed that it's going to allow for this to happen. And we're super excited about that and feel very fortunate that we aren't in a box right that doesn't allow for this type of flexibility so um yeah we and and we will do this all with the developmental stage of the children in mind like so that's the other important piece to this is it's not just about popping kids into space and saying have at it we're really looking at what are the needs of a six-year-old what are the versus the needs of a 12 year old and, and how do we make those adjustments. So um, the two task forces are working together in that respect. And, um, 
it, it's it's coming together. It's you know it's piece by piece, and uh, we will be prepared to pivot as the governor's um, guidelines come out. That's awesome. Thank you all so much for trying your best. It's really appreciated, and I I know that you are. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. And one thing that I want to add is that next year the key word is go two two things: flexibility, right, and keeping a sense of humor. So what I mean, you know, so in other words, a week or two in, we may find out that this particular uh, area might not be working for second or third graders, and then we make adjustments. And but we are committed to getting your kids back in school. And at this time, Amy and everybody else, we do we are not looking at right now, we're not looking at other spaces because we can handle all the students in the building. Okay, so thank you for that question. That's an important one. And I, before I forget, you're gonna be getting a survey from both of our task forces and from me, Amy Schlussel and uh, Nicole Miller on Friday. And I'm gonna ask for 100% participation from at least one person in every household because we want to take the temperature of people in our community to find out what your plans are for the fall. How do you feel about your children wearing masks at different points throughout the day? What are your concerns? And most importantly, how can we support our community right now and into the fall? So um, I just wanted to mention that because if you could take five to seven minutes to answer that survey, those data are extremely important for us. First of all, I wanna say that this focus group is really uh, highly appreciated. Um, and this whole experience, I'm sure it was crazy. And I do believe that the teachers are going to be, they were great teachers, they're going to be even greater after everything that they just learned in like no time, which is amazing. Um, I was wondering if you can a little bit um, describe how does this um, social distancing um, learning in the campus is going to look like? Like if you have some kind of, will they still be with two teachers or one teacher for, for small groups? They're going to stay with the small groups. Are they going, will, will they be able to socialize outside and next to other kids or you're going to keep on don't touch don't touch too close like how does it going to look like because um, that's one of my big, biggest concerns that kids needs to be kids and it's hard to keep them six feet apart and frankly I don't think it's possible but like how do you imagine this whole thing of course I'm sure you don't have like 100% answers for everything but just what are your thoughts about it? Okay, I think I'll start and then I'm gonna turn it over to Melissa. I'd like Kim to chime in also. Um, so Tamar, I'm gonna give you the answer that we have today, recognizing that that answer might be different next week or it might be different in a month. But we will be a school that allows kids to be kids. We don't want them to come fearful. We want them to come excited and happy to be with their teacher and with their friends. So one idea that we are exploring is certainly in the younger grades is for children within a, now the CDC is calling them a bubble. We're gonna call it a bua, which is Hebrew for bubble. 
a bubble of bua, bua echad, bua shtayim, so let's say bubble number one, and they stay with their bubble in the classroom, okay, we're still determining whether we would have them wear masks at various points throughout the day, but maybe when they're in their bua, again, this is what we're thinking today, they might not have to be masked in the classroom because they're a bua, a bubble. But certainly we want to make use of our outdoor space. We might not be able to use the playground equipment, but Andrea is already thinking and Melissa already thinking of games that the kids can play outside to socialize. I, something just popped in my head. I remember when I was younger in day camp, red light, green light. I don't know. I remember running to one side and running back. There's ways to make them, to allow them to socialize. You have our commitment that that is the type of school that we will be come fall. So I'm going to let my colleagues chime in with some other. Um, yeah, I mean, I may, I may repeat a little bit of what Darren said, but, and, and Kim, I would love for you to chime in about the social emotional piece. I think it's a, a nice time to talk about it. It's, it's just the mental health of our students is so important. And we know that in order for them to learn it all, that has to be stable. So again, we don't know what the government's going to tell us that we have to do. And we know that we need to keep the physical health of our students in mind, but we're not going to be, don't touch this, don't touch this, don't touch this. Now, will we make some accommodations where students next year are going to have personal supplies versus community supplies? Yes. Um, you know, little, little tweaks like that. We're going to try to limit the amount of movement in our school. Does that mean kids aren't moving at all? Or we're going to be like soldiers all day long? No. Um, so, you know, it's, it's that balance of people feeling um, safe health-wise, safe socially and emotionally. And like it's been mentioned a few times, kids being kids. So, you know, we were, we're really conscious of that and want to make school a happy place to be where kids are learning. You said a lot of what I would have said, um, but um, really the key, hi Tamar and everyone, um, really the key is to be able to find that sweet spot, that balance between ensuring our kids' physical health and safety and also protecting their social, emotional, and mental safety. And at Hillel, we are really blessed, and um, I think it's quite unusual to have three full-time mental health professionals on staff, and we are already in the workings of adapting what we've done in years past to fit this really unique situation. So we're going to be doing training over the summer, so this also speaks to Julie's question, um, on trauma-informed schools because we know that we're coming back to a different type of environment and everybody, kids, staff, parents, have been through a traumatic event. So we are going to have to um, address the needs of everybody in the community rather than just individual students in, like we did in the past that might have been experiencing a particular challenge or difficulty socially and emotionally. So it's going to be really important for us to be um, picking up the slack of maybe what our kids um, might be experiencing with the new safety procedures and also um, treat 
kind of what they're bringing, what they're coming in with, whether it be anticipatory anxiety of getting sick or maybe even separation anxiety after having been home with their families and their pets in their comfort zone for so long. Um, so we're really committed as a social emotional team to be teaching pro-social school um, skills to all of our kids and also um, helping them develop an emotional IQ um, and an ability to self-reflect and talk about how they're feeling um, in a way that was very different from what we were doing before. So um, again, that, that is going to be developed over the summer, but Tamar, you're right on. It's something that I know for me, um, and I can speak for, the, for my <laughs> colleagues, we really want to make sure that the added safety measures aren't creating negative associations to school and learning. We still are so committed to Hillel being a safe place in all definitions of the word safe, and we have uniquely the staff to make sure that happens. Thank you, Tamar. That was a very important question, and I hope that you can see our commitment. Um, following what Kim said about, you know, school not being a scary place and or, you know, something that would add to it. Um, when John and I first started talking about the desk situation in um, K-1-2, um, especially, one of the big things that drove that conversation was how do we make this um, feel like a child-friendly place, a school, like a, a safe, wonderful place where it's not, you're walking into an incredibly sterile environment. Um, even though it's um, clean, sterile, not a, uh, not physically doesn't look like a school or classroom or something that would be foreign to them. And so even those smallest details um, are things that we're thinking about. Um, and I will say our goal is also to have recess every day, uh, you know, it, it, to get the kids outside, moving, socializing, interact, interacting with others. The, ingenu the, the um, creativity of children is really remarkable and being able to also come up with games and activities that they can play with certain um, um, parameters. Just at the end of last year, I saw third, at one thing that started at the second and third grade recess were um, a game races. Kids were just racing up and down the track and they organized this completely by themselves. And that right there is a social distancing kind of th thing where they can, um, they can race and they can um, have, you know, little competitions or, you know, do some fun stuff like that. So they, they will also design things that, um, or have their creativity that will, um, contribute to that social piece and I and we are working on how do we teach actively teach them I know that our PE staff can actually actively teach those things as well of what are some things that we can do to keep them physical keep them um, keep them moving get that fresh air and um, and still maintain that healthy um, those healthy protocols okay Thank you. Thank you, Andrea. There's a bunch of questions that came up and I want to be able to get to everybody within the time that we have. Hi, guys. First of all, I really, I just want to say you guys have been amazing. Really, it was, it, I thought remote learning personally was, was actually how you guys threw it together so quickly, <laughs> figured it out. Kudos to you. It was, it was wonderful. Um, a couple of things. I'm not really sure now if I should go back because 
I can see that we're, remote learning is probably not going to happen. There were a couple of things I wanted um, to ask about the remote learning, and it was about, um, I think I had discussed it last time in the last meeting, uh, about FaceTime with the teachers and the students, and um, planning the length of activities. I found some days were very long, some days were very short. So I was going to go into that. I'm not going to go into that. I do want to say, Kim, uh, I'm glad to hear that you guys are coming from the point of view of trauma. It, it has been very stressful for everybody. And um, I'm actually looking forward to hopefully having the ability to uh, drive in again come September and drop early off at school. Having said that, I found out that the border will now be closed until the end of July. So we'll see what, uh, what the future brings as far as that's concerned. I do want to talk about, um, just quickly, or ask about when we had mentioned the social aspect. And one of the things that I wanted to find out is, um, is there a possibility, I know that in previous years, uh, the class that our children are being assigned to on a yearly basis, we only find out about it literally days before school starts. And I just wanted to find out if it's even an option or a possibility that perhaps um, we find out earlier in the summer, so perhaps there's an ability to have some kind of connection um, and maybe some meetings between the teachers and the students prior to the school year beginning, because I still feel that a lot was missed out on the social aspect in the last three months, obviously, with everything that had happened, and uh, if that's even an option um, for the coming school year. Thanks, Ruth. Hi, I hope the border opens soon for you. <laughs> end of July will, will be the, the latest. Uh, so your question has come up in our leadership meetings. Um, you are correct that we usually share those lists very close to the beginning of the school year. Um, I don't have a promise for you, but I do have, it is something that we are strongly considering. I, um, part of the, the reason why we wouldn't send them to families super early, so let's say like beginning of August, is, is so much changes. People, kids... Um, come, kids go, there, there's, there, there's so much that goes into creating the class list and even one or two um, enrollment changes can shift lists. Um, however, we do understand your perspective and the chances are, are good that we will share lists earlier than usual. Um, and then that also goes with government regulations too. We can find out we can only have so many kids in a certain bubble or whatever. But as of now, our class sizes will be as usual from the past years. And we are strongly considering sharing lists earlier, but not like that August one, you know, not that first week of August. Okay, thanks. Okay. Um... L.R. Zesking, I'm sorry, I don't know your first name. I'd love to know what it is. Lisa. Lisa, hi, Lisa. Okay, go ahead, Lisa. Okay, so my question is regarding masks and the kids. And I keep talking to all these different physicians about, you know, the effect the masks have on our children and is it necessary for them to be wearing them in school and the low risk and obviously the even lower mortality rate with children. 
it's one thing to see the teachers in full PPE. It's a very different thing to have your kids trying to adjust and fidget and breathe through something that they're not comfortable with. It's not a natural experience for them at all. And it's really something that my husband and I are very uncomfortable with. How, and I, I hope someone else will chime in on this with me as well, Randy possibly, but how do you foresee them wearing masks in school and not fidgeting and not being distracted and wearing them correctly and making sure they're breathing and everything else is good, especially with the little ones. Okay, um, Lisa, I am, I'm gonna take that first and then anybody else can chime in. We are also concerned, okay? And um, so we will rely on the advice of our medical advisor and what the CDC is recommending and also balance the fact that it's really, really uncomfortable and hard for little kids especially to wear a mask for hours and hours at a time. I don't have an answer for you, except I don't have an exact answer for you right now, but I want you to know the one option that we have today, okay? And again, if, I'm not making any promises, but is that when students are in the hallway and they one bubble is interacting with another bubble, we would ask them to wear masks, maybe at arrival and dismissal, but that would be it. That's one possibility, because I think what we have heard and what we are learning, and you know, just, something just came out last night, I don't remember where it's from, but they said that the transmission, the 50% of children under teenagers and younger actually contract the virus if they're exposed. I don't know if anybody else heard that news and I don't remember where it came from. Okay, because there's so much news that comes back and forth, but please know that this is a complicated issue and like everything else we are doing, we will balance the developmental needs of children with uh, recommendations that we have to follow. In the survey that we are sending out on Friday, there are two questions specifically asking parents about their views for children wearing masks. Anybody else want to chime in? Okay. I, would, I, don't, I would like to say something if possible. Sure. I, and I apologize, I can't be on video. I'm, I'm just in the middle of something else. But um, first, I just want to thank everybody for sharing their feelings and for everything, all the efforts and the community coming together. I, I don't want to waste the time, but I, I just want to acknowledge it. Um, I, I guess I'm getting a little triggered by what was just stated because I'm extremely high risk. And there, I find that the society in general is having a split between maskers and non-maskers. Um, and I feel like I'm getting judged a lot because I'm trying to follow the protocols and keep me and my family safe. But a lot of people um, are not comfortable wearing masks. And honestly, it's not comfortable for us either. But at the same time, you know, like I'm trying to stay safe and keep my kids safe. And my question was like, how are you going to manage, you know, the different, um, you know, comfort levels and experiences and safety measures in order to protect everyone involved. Because I, I know that a lot of people don't wear masks, but a lot of people also aren't high risk either. 
Um, so I'm wondering how are you going to handle families that aren't willing to do that versus like families that aren't comfortable with that? Cause I don't want to feel like I can't come to school, have my kids go to school if they're not going to be safe. And I'm not judging. I'm just saying it's, it's been a hard thing for everyone. Um, I'm just very concerned because people are becoming very relaxed, but all the literature and all the research on the news, whether it's true or not, I don't know, but is saying that all these states that are reopening are now having major surges of cases again. So this is not going away. Um, and I know this, we all want to just be free and back to no some normalcy, <laughs> but I'm also very concerned because I don't want to get sick. Of course, Thank Tracy. You. Tracy, we we all hear you, and we recognize that this is a complicated issue, and um, so we're we're including questions about it in our survey just to take a pulse of the community. But ultimately, we will be making the decision as a school for what our policy will be, based on government regulations and recommendations, recommendations from the CDC and speaking with our medical advisor and others who we need to consult. Thank you, I appreciate it. Okay, um, I wanna go next to, and Tracy, I know I'll get back to you because I think you had another question. Mike Shuckman. Hey, how are you? Sorry my video's off, but I've got like inappropriate painting on my wall, so that's probably been- <laughs> That's fine. Probably not the right venue for this. But um, no, so I have actually just two part question. I guess the part one is, you know, I hear a lot about like, you know, we're talking about the social emotional and we're talking about like how traumatic this is for the kids. It, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Kids are very resilient. If we go in from the perspective that everything is traumatic, yeah, it'll be traumatic. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. My suggestion is let kids be kids, try to make it as normal as possible, but don't, don't force upon them the fact that it's traumatic because Listen, my kids are fine. They're normal. They understand what's going on, but we're not telling them, you know, this is just going to be completely awful for you. So that's part one. That's my opinion, but that's just how I see kids are. Number two, the released education, there's definitely been a three-month gap. The teachers have done an amazing job under very difficult circumstances, but nonetheless, there's a three-month gap that will need to be made up in terms of education. How are we going to make sure that the three months, which are pivotal for the kids, you know, second grade, third grade, very pivotal. How are we going to make sure in their current environment that these three, these past three months, they're all caught up and prepared as they move forward? I appreciate it. I'm happy to answer that, Andrea. You can chime in. <laughs> um, hi, Mike. How are you? Um, so, so we are we are very aware that between the three months of remote learning, which kids definitely learned and definitely had you know, different realms of learning, was not the same as being in school. And then we add summer to it. So um, we know that it is um, different than usual. So a, a couple things with that. One is we have curriculum coordinators. And I meet with the curriculum coordinators and they are very, very in tune of uh, of the benchmarks, 
for lack of a better word, um, of the benchmarks that our students need to achieve each year. And during remote learning, they, you know, with other colleagues, went through the curriculum and decided what are the, the most important things that we need to try to teach and kids to learn during this time. Then they are, you know, through the summer, beginning of the school year, um, the curriculum coordinators and other colleagues will go through that curriculum and decide what was lost during that time and where do we need to start at the beginning of the school year. So one is just awareness and that, they're, that they are on top of it. You know, this isn't, luckily is probably the, the, the wrong word, but we're not talking about, you know, three kids coming into third grade that, are, that are, have a loss, right? We have almost our entire Hillel community. And so everybody is starting at that same point and the teachers will make sure that they start the school year and hopefully use, you know, use the word resilient. Hopefully kids, things will come back, the teachers will review and they can move on. Can I say that, you know, by November, they're going to be the exact same as they would if we didn't have this situation? No, but I think that the teachers are very in tune and the curriculum coordinators will support them to make sure that the year, um, that, that review part and getting kids back to where um, need to be, you know, again, it's everybody. So getting them back to, you know, a successful moving forward of learning. I think it's where there's where there can be a plan in place. I think that's important as well. So it sounds like you guys have a plan in place. So that's yeah, good. and and the important piece of that plan is to communicate to all of you, which um, we will do. Okay, thank you, Mike. I appreciate that. Um, I want to address a question that was submitted um, ahead of time, and I'm sure there may be some others who are wondering it as well. And that question is the scenario number three that was in the June 9th email, which we are calling the flexible option. Is that just a planning scenario? The question was, is that just a planning scenario or is it a firm option that will be available for those who need it? So uh, the answer to that question is we are 100% committed to providing a flexible option for families and children who may be at a heightened medical risk and or are just not ready to come back into the building. In the survey that we are sending out on Friday, we are asking some direct questions. One of those is, at this time, what are the plans for your children in the fall? Return to on-campus learning when the building is open, prefer a remote uh, option, or I don't know. Once we receive those data, we will have a better idea of how many families are interested in the hybrid option, and that will affect the type of program that we create. So I wanted to be able to address that. We are committed to that model, but we are committed to doing it in the most excellent fashion. And I wanna let Andrea just dovetail on what I just said and speak maybe to a little bit more of the specifics. Sure, thanks, Darren. Um, you know, one thing that um, I, I think there was another question of, you know, can can kids who are out zoom into the classroom, just sort of put a camera in and, you know, and this sort of fishbowl model of, classrooms, we, we have the benefit of there are some schools that are already up and running and trying some of these things. And what they're finding is 
it's ne that's not necessarily um, well it is an option right and um, and something that one of the things that I know John's you know they're looking at cameras and different things like that a potential a potential option um, it, we want to get as close to or as rich of an experience as possible for the kids and just simply having a fishbowl model I, I don't know that especially for the young kids gets as close enough to that so um, I would while it may seem like a simple solution, um, that is one of the things that the um, Ed Task Force will be looking at is what does this flexible model look like? Um, and again, going back to it for a, you know, a middle school student looks very different than for a younger student. So, um, so really taking into account, you know, we, Having a fishbowl model would mean a kid is staring at a screen like six hours a day, and and we don't we know that that's not ideal either. So, um, what does it look like? How do we serve our students to the very very best and give them the richest experience possible in um, in a flexible model or an on campus model, whatever whatever it is, uh, wherever they may be. Okay, thank you, Andrea. Um... Okay, Tracy, you had put, said you had a question, and I, I know you spoke earlier, but if there's another question, please go ahead. Okay, thank you. Um, I, I was curious to know, um, and it's just a simple question, like I know there's been a mention of if we're forced, um, unfortunately, to have to go back into a complete remote learning situation again. Um, there's been a mention of all students will be provided with technology. Does that mean that um, there's going to be like, you know how in, for my daughter, she's in the older grades, you know, we pay a technology fee every month or whatever, or for the year. How is that gonna look in regards to the financial piece? Cause I know that's also another component that's been stressful for many people. I'll take that, Darren. Um, there's not a plan to institute a charge for the one-to-one uh, -one device policy that we're working up for the younger grades. No charge. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Marnie, is there anything else you wanted to add about that? Well, for the the reason there's a fee for the five eight is because we purchase specific new devices for the kids. We are reallocating the current devices that we have to accommodate this. So that's, as John said, there will be no fee. Okay, thank you. Well, all the support is incredibly appreciated in every level. I mean, I just how responsive people people have been with the sometimes glitches with the technology um, or just confusion around certain adaptions to the transitions. But yeah, the, everyone has been incredible. So thank you. It's really blown us away and we're very appreciative of everything and how flexible and accommodating everybody has been to help each other and work together as a community. So thank you. Thank Thanks, you, Tracy. Just one more comment on the devices. Um, we haven't really worked it out yet, but um, we have to figure out, does that mean every student takes their device home every night? Because then if, we're, if we suddenly we're out, we're kind of stuck having parents trying to retrieve devices from the school. So we'll have to work out our policy on that uh, with Amy and Barbara and Melissa and everyone, um, how we're gonna handle that. Yes, 
Okay. okay. Thank you, John. Um, taking a look at the clock, um, does anybody have any other additional questions or comments? Okay. So I, I I'm actually, yep. Darren, if I, I know this came up and, um, and it was something that I think, um, maybe Ruthie brought up, but I think another person chimed in that they would actually love to hear. Um, and Tracy alluded to it in her last question of if there is a chance that we go back to remote learning in the fall, which there, you know, possibly is right. Um, there has been a lot of, um, uh, questions about the synchronous versus the asynchronous model, whether, you know, the synchronous, we would call that live instruction, right? Um, and the asynchronous where it's more of what, what the students had um, this last go around with remote, where it's pre-recorded, pushed out, both are very valid and very um, highly used uh, modes of online uh, learning. Synchronous was we were able to do that with the as Marnie said earlier with the with the school owned devices. That's what made that possible in 5 eight and not possible in K four. Um, now that we'll be able to do that. There will be some um, more of a synchronous format again not wanting to do six hours a day of in front of a screen, right? We're committed to that. But, um, but there will be more of live interaction with teachers, live instruction with teachers. Um, this, this is where we move to that resiliency phase. We learn from um, the past experience and we're not in this just sort of catch it and move on um, a, a phase. We are, we are in a position where we can look at how to deliver something um, you know, more in a more live synchronous format um, with more of a schedule, uh, something that is a little more predictable. So we've taken that feedback, we've appreciate we appreciate it. And so I did want to put that out there because I know that is a question on um, on people's minds. Okay, thank you, Andrea. Um, Okay, I, on behalf of uh, the entire administrative team, I wanna thank everybody for joining us today. The questions have been rich. The discussion has been important. We take copious notes and this, this will help to inf inform our planning process going forward. So um, again, survey coming out on Friday, it should take no more than five to seven minutes and if we can get 100% participation from every household, it will be incredibly valuable data for us. So that's my last request. Um, I wanna thank you all for being here. Happy Wednesday to all of you, happy summer. I look forward to meeting all of you when I arrive in Michigan in mid-July. It has been an honor and a blessing to work with this amazing leadership team so far. And um, I can't wait to meet all of your children. Thank you so much. Thanks, everybody. Okay. okay, goodbye, everybody. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Thank you, everyone. Have a good day. Thank you. Have Thanks so much. So good to see you. Bye.